My name is Tim, and I love Christmas carols. Honestly, I love all things Christmas. I've also been a church musician and worship leader for over 20 years. On this podcast, we're going to explore some of the most popular and beloved Christmas carols of all time. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Nope, not that. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Definitely not that. I mean, the carols many of us grew up singing in church or hearing on TV specials and movies. If you take some time and slow down and really dig into those carols, you'll find profound hope and peace. And in small pockets of quiet this holiday season, you can find comfort and joy. This is Comfort and Joy. Guys, we're going to have an amazing guest on today. His name is Ace Collins. Now, Ace is not his real name, but he got that name in college um, because he was a card player. But let me just give you a little background on Ace before we jump into this interview. We, we did an interview via uh, Zoom because he's obviously he's, he's uh, in Arkansas and we are in Dallas. So there was a distance there. But thank, thankfully, the, the technology of Zoom allowed us to do a really great conversation today. But just a little bit about uh, background. Um, Ace is, uh, he defines himself as a storyteller. Uh, in that capacity, Collins has authored over 99 books that have sold more than 2.5 million copies for 20 different publishers. His catalog includes novels, biographies, children's works, as well as books on history, culture, and faith. Uh, his book, The Stories Behind the Best Love Songs of Christmas, has been one of my primary resources for research uh, as we bring these songs to life every week. Um, so he's already been a voice of this podcast even before he's been on. Um, he's also been featured as a speaker at the National Archives Distinguished Lecture Series. He's hosted a network television special and has appeared on all the morning TV shows, as well as numerous radio programs around the globe. So with that, I want to introduce you to uh, Mr. Ace Collins. This is by far, I, I called my wife the first time after we talked Ace, and I was like, I think I found my kindred spirit. Like this guy loves Christmas and knows so much about the music more than I do. And it was just, it was exciting. It was a hot September day when I was house hunting for a new rent house on the phone with you. And just in that, in that 30 minutes we talked on the phone, I was just absolutely excited for the, for this day to come. Good. I am. Um, I love talking about this stuff. You know, I was, I was, how did you get into the other day telling the stories behind Elvis is number one song. So I know I've you. About, 15 different books about stories behind songs and I just love did you start with Christmas did you start with was, was Christmas one of your first books or what was your first stories behind the songs books um stories behind the greatest hits of the, I, I had it titled the stories behind the hundred most important songs in country music okay um and you know considering you're in the um ministry I think you'll get a kick out of this that book did very, very well. It's for St. Martin's Press out of New York. And um, I got a call from uh, Cindy Lambert, who was the acquisitions editor at the HarperCollins imprint of Zondervan in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, and she called me and she said, have you ever thought about doing the stories behind gospel music's greatest songs? 
And I actually reached into my file cabinet and pulled out a rejection letter that they, they had sent me two years before and faxed it to her, waited for it to beep and her to start laughing before I said, as a matter of fact, I have. <laughs> um, and we did that and that went to four or five printings. It was called Turn Your Radio On. And that's when she came back to me and said, is there anything else we rejected we should have bought? Mm. And the stories behind the best love songs of Christmas had been rejected by 24 publishers and a total of 27 times, which meant that four of the publishers rejected it twice. And they, we went back and forth for six months. They didn't think the book would have a big enough sales wind in the three or four weeks or five weeks you sell Christmas stuff to actually to sell. And eventually I told them I'd take almost nothing for an advance, just enough to cover my research if they'd let me do it. And the book hit Amazon. It hit three on Amazon that year, hit the New York Times bestseller list and has sold about a million copies since. Wow. And has been translated into who knows how many different languages. And, but once again, it was, re, it was rejected 27 times. That's unbelievable to me because, well, but you don't, and, yeah, you don't give up on a good idea. And this is a yeah. wonderful idea. And this is, so this was written, uh, looks like it was published in 2001. Was it the original? 2001. Publishing? All right. And, and when I flew and, in to do the Today Show, I, the plane flew over where the, where the trade centers had been. So that was my wow. first trip back to New York after the 9-11. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, if there was ever a year that we needed the hope that we find in Christmas songs, uh, and that's the whole point of my podcast, is that a lot of these Christmas carols, there's, there's hope to be found in the stories if you yes. dig into them. And so I, I officially welcome to Comfort and Joy. I'm so glad to have you on, uh, Ace. I, I'm, I'm humbled and honored by, by having you. So we're, de- we're going to just talk today about, about specifically Silent Night, the song Silent Night. It's got a wonderful storied history. Um, and, and your book has been one of my source, source pieces for, um, for research as I've gone through, along with a few others that have kind of sat on my shelves since my days in, in uh, church music degree, Howard Payne, years ago. So it's been fun to get to dig into some of these. And, and in talking with you, uh, I knew that this was going to be probably one of my favorite episodes to have. Uh, so first of all, um, you know, I think it's important to talk about just, uh, you know, well, I mean, I'm, I want to go first and play just a, a short snippet of the song. And this is a version that um, kind of is the basic idea of the song. It's not the one you sent me. We'll listen to that one at the end. But today, Silent Night is our song. And, and uh, just in case for listeners who may not know it, I can't imagine any, but. By the way, seven of the top selling songs, seven of the top 10 selling songs of Christmas were written by Jews. Really? Yeah, if, when you look at pop music, yeah. A friend of mine who's Jewish said it's, it's appropriate because we are celebrating a Jewish guy's birthday. That's true. I mean, that's true. So, even, if they, mean, even if they don't believe in the messianic nature of Christ, it was still his birthday. Um, yeah. I'm gonna, we're gonna have to go back and see if I can guess those in a minute. So here's, okay, let's try that again. So today's song that we're talking about. Silent Night. Silent Night, one of the most favorite and storied Christmas carols that you probably grew up singing or listening to, if nothing else. This is the version by Hillsong Worship. And the uh, irony of the instrumentation is not lost on me, though. We'll talk about some of that as we go. The instrumentation in that particular version was a, a guitar and an organ, which wouldn't have been accurate to the original. We'll, we'll get to that, though. So, Ace, if you would uh, just jump in here and talk about the, the story of this Christmas carol. Well, we're going to go back over 200 years to 1818. There is a young priest who's 26 years old named Joseph Moore, 
who has been in, put in charge of his first ever Christmas Mass. And that's the Midnight Mass at Christmas, very, very important in the Catholic tradition. And in this little town of Obendorf, Austria, he has everything set. He has worked weeks and weeks and weeks to get it perfect. And really, the service is based around music that his choir will be singing and the congregation will be singing. He gets there that afternoon of Christmas Eve to get the church ready, to clean everything, to get the fire going in the stove. He gets over the organ to start doing a little practicing, and the organ will not work. Now, he's panicked. He crawls underneath the organ trying to see if, if, if there's something wrong that he can see, obviously, and there's nothing there. The keyboard is fine. He opens up the back. He can find nothing wrong, but it won't work. And now he's sitting there going, I've let the entire congregation down, the whole town down. What am I going to do for my music-oriented Sunday night Christmas Eve mass? Well, in a panic, he runs over to his friend's house, Franz Gruber, who's 31 years old, a school teacher who's living in a little apartment, and he's really wrapped up in a blanket because it's so cold in that apartment. He tells Gruber what's going on, and Gruber said, you write poems. Haven't you had a poem somewhere? He said, yes, two years ago when I was visiting my uncle, excuse me, my grandfather, I did write a poem. And he said, it's about Christmas. He said, go back and get it. They got it. They sat down with a guitar, and they played music to this, this poem this priest had written two years before. Now, one of the most remarkable things about it is the priest had moved twice since then. Most of us could not have found that poem to save our lives, but he somehow found it in that desk. I just finished moving and I have boxes of, I, I, I can't imagine that. Like that yeah. to me would be absolutely, I couldn't find anything. So there's a great lesson there. When you get a good, good idea, write it down. And when you, once you write it down, remember where you put it. That's right. You know, um, yes. Anyway, they put this little music together to this song and then they got there and they taught it to the choir. And that night, Silent Night, Stilly Knocked, Heilige Knocked in the original language, became the song that saved the Christmas Eve Mass. The congregation loved it. As a matter of fact, after listening to the choir sing it, they taught it to the congregation. Well, that should have been the end of the story. But three weeks later, there was a man whose only job was fixing organs that came to Orbendorf to fix the little church's organ. And Carl asked Joseph, what did you do for music? Joseph went and retrieved his own guitar and he played the song. Well, the man who fixed the organ was so impressed, he wrote down all the lyrics, all four verses, and he wrote down the music. Well, Moore had no idea that this organ fixer was gonna become the ja Johnny Appleseed of Silent Night. He took it everywhere he went and taught it in every community throughout Germany and Austria that he went into. Well, Moore had pretty much forgotten about the song. But one of the people who heard it was the Strasser family. They were folk singers who toured throughout Europe at that particular point. Well, they picked this song up and started singing it at all of their Christmas uh, performances across Europe. And one of the people who heard it was the King of Prussia, William IV or V. And he was so impressed that he had his cathedral choir learn it and sing it. Well, that minute suddenly moved all across the, the nation of, of Prussia and th throughout Eastern Europe and became extremely well known. And by 1839 had made its way to the United States. Now it's being sung in the US. Well, in 1840, 
our little priest, who's now middle-aged and in poor health, is walking down the street in Cologne, Germany, and from this cathedral hears his song coming through the walls. He's only had it performed once. How He's did only heard these it people once. learn yeah. it? How did they know it? He walked in and he listened to these people sing it and afterwards said, I'm the one who wrote it and nobody would believe him. For the next eight years, when he found out his song had gone all across the globe, he was telling people, I wrote this song and not a single person believed it. They believed it was written by Beethoven or Handel or Bach. But let's roll over Beethoven and go back to Moore. <laughs> Moore was sitting there hoping that he would get recognized as the song's writer, and he dies in 1848. Oh, wow. Well, Franz Gruber at that particular point dug into his files and found the original lyrics and the original music that they had written and showed it to a newspaper man in Germany, and their names were finally cemented with Silent Night. So here is a song that was meant only as a stopgap measure. Wow. That is now the world's best known Christmas song, has been translated into countless languages. It has become what they call the Jesus loves me of Christmas music because every, every little child learns this song when they're, very, when they're very, very small and they sing it the rest of their lives. Yes. The other thing that's amazing about this is that song wouldn't have been known if somebody didn't take the word and share it. Much like Christians share the gospel, one person at a time to another person. So just like the gospel spread across the Roman Empire and then across the globe, Silent Night, in a way, mirrored that exactly. And therefore, we know Silent Night because it was shared one person at a time, just like the gospel shared. And I think one of the greatest things about this carol that most people overlook is the name of the church where it was first performed. The first church it was ever performed in, in that little Ovendorf, Germany, is named St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas Cathedral, huh? I, I was not aware of that either. That is, well, that's, that's simply profound that, that <laughs> you would have the, the, the church named after the saint where we have so many of our Christmas traditions, and yet that's where Silent Night came from. That's where it was birthed. Exactly. You know, and once again, we should not know that song today, and yet it's the world's most popular Christmas song. What do you and think, just in your we own We know experience? it because of sharing it, one at a time. Yeah. What do you think makes that song, uh, what, what do you think makes that song so popular? Like, as far as just what makes it so accessible? I've talked to many, many songwriters over my life, talking about music of all different varieties, and the music that tends to last, the music that tends to make an impact and stay with us is at its heart very simple. Mm, it's yes. not complicated. It's not uniquely orchestrated with layers and layers of sound and music. It's something that you can sing a cappella, or you can pick a guitar and sing it. Yes, you can, you can rock out with a cathedral and a symphony on Silent Night, but it, it, it is in its message and, it is, and in its presentation very, very simple, and that, therefore it's very, very easy to learn. And I think for that reason, um, it has lasted when the, t you know, you think about the history of Christmas music, there are hundreds of Christmas songs written every year, and there have been for centuries. And yet we only know a handful of them. Right. You know, once you get past 100 songs, you've lost them. And I think when you look at the handful of songs that we know, know about, be it the secular prayer, I'll be home for Christmas or Silent Night 
or Mary, did you know, they're all very, very simple in the message mm. they're trying to mm -hmm. reach. They're not, they're not hitting us with complicated theology. They're breaking it down in language that even a child can understand. And even, even musically speaking, Silent Night is a very simple song. You know, theologically it speaking, it's, it, it's, very, it's yeah. very simple to understand. And the imagery is very clear. But even the music isn't, isn't overly complex. And, and it's so, matter of fact, it's so elementary that anybody can sing it. Yes. A Holy Night takes a, a great vocalist to do justice to that song. But anybody can sing Silent Night. And I think that's another one of the appeals to it. You know, you go back to the music that's lasted in, in various forms and genres through the year. And we, we have music, by and large, that lasts because it's simple and almost anybody can sing it. And once you get the, once you get the, uh, the tune to, to Silent Night stuck in your head, it's stuck. It doesn't leave you. It yeah. stays there. My yeah. kids have just learned the term earworm when it comes to music, and they joke with me when something gets stuck in our head. But Silent Night is definitely an earworm. When it gets in there, it's going to stick around for a while. It's going to stick it around. Is. Yes. And it's such an elementary song. It's, it's easy if you don't speak German to, to learn the German with it. You know, it, it's one of those things that is just, it, it's, it is in a way brilliant, but it's brilliant in the same way that the, the great country Music tune Smith Hank Williams wrote songs very, very simple, very direct. The message is there. Anybody can relate to it. Right. Right. Well, in looking at the verses of it, do you feel like it's pretty, how, how does your under, understanding of it as far as its biblical accuracy? I mean, we know it was written as a poem first. And so it was more, it was more of a creative expression than it was necessarily sitting down with Luke 2 or any of the, of the, of the, of the gospel accounts. So well, the Joseph, you, jo yeah, Joseph Moore was inspired by walking across uh, uh, a snow-covered field and then walking into some piney woods. Right. And it was very, very quiet and very, very peaceful. And it was Christmas Eve, 1816. He was walking from church to his grandfather's house. And when he got back, the, it was the silence of that evening that had inspired him. And, that's and if you think about it, being born in a stable uh, without much <clears throat> fanfare, Jesus was born in a very silent time as well. And, and so there, you know, there, there's a great saying that my grandfather always had. He, I asked him once about what he missed most about his youth. And he said, he missed, he missed sounds because in our modern world, we have noise. Mm. But when he was growing up in the Northern Ozarks where the nearest, the nearest neighbor was a mile away, he had the sounds of nature. And it was that sounds of nature probably speaking to more that night as he walked by himself in those woods. And, and that caused him to relate to the silence of that first night when Jesus was born. And I think that is, is one of the things that we probably miss is the humble nature of Christ's birth. Yeah. And, and I think it's one of the things we need to cling to. Um, Absolutely. Because that makes him one of us. That's, that's absolutely right. And I think that's that idea that we could recapture some of the the joy or the hope of Christmas by maybe getting away from the noise of of what we call the holiday rush now, what we call, you know, the, the, the whatever you want to think of it, whether it's malls, probably not as much malls anymore, but as far as just the, the noisiness of, of our busy schedules and maybe taking some time. I, I love to run. I love to get outside and run. And part of that is the the, the silence you can experience um, in those moments. I think that that's a great way to kind of go back and recapture some of that hope that comes 
through the the song Silent Night because I hadn't thought about the until you brought it up or until I read some of the story, I hadn't thought about the fact that Moore was writing it in a quiet place. He was in a mm-hmm. in a still place because when I think of Silent Night, you know, obviously a woman giving birth is not going to be silent like that whole idea. But when you put it in the context of where he was writing it and his experience, it makes perfect sense, you know, why those were his leading lines for the, for the poem, for the text. Silent Night, Holy Night is, is absolutely where he was and what he was experiencing when thinking about Christ's birth in that moment. Well, I think, I think you contrast that to what was probably expected of the, of the birth of the Messiah. I think they were expecting heaven to open up and, and right. lightning and thunder and, and swords and soldiers and, and, and all of this stuff, what was going to overthrow the world rather than changing the heart, rather than changing, you know, changing the political climate of the time. And, and I think that, that the way Silent Night is so magical is, is the fact that it, it, and spiritual, is the fact it catches that message of heart. It, ca- it ca- really captures Jesus' ministry because it wasn't a shouting mis- ministry at all. It was a ministry mm. of touch and compassion and soothing language. And so I, I think when you, when you look at it that way, Silent Night is a, is a great precursor to the way that Jesus related to people as well. Yes. I think you can you can tell there are so many of the great carols that were written by the common men who had very little biblical training and they had the wise men and the shepherds appear, appearing at the same time and they had all of these elements that were theologically wrong. Right. That doesn't make the that doesn't mean we don't still enjoy enjoy the songs. Sure. You know, but but Silent Night you could tell was written by a man who has studied the Bible, a man who has uh, been to school, so to speak, and, and understands what the scripture is. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So when you studied Silent Night, and as you've gone through it, not just as, a, as an author, and, um, but as, as somebody who has been a student of the song, what themes have come out to you? Like, what have you, what, what have you personally drawn from studying Silent Night? What's, what's impacted your life the most in understanding the story of that song? In my viewpoint, it's it's something I mentioned earlier, and that's the fact that we share things with each other one at a time to make an impact. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I, I think the gospel is shared one at a time, and I, I think that is something that we learn from Christ's ministries, but a lot of times we forget how important we are as individuals in sharing that, and I think the story of Silent Night proves that, yeah. uh, because we wouldn't know it if it wasn't somebody didn't believe in that song and shared it. And if, if we are to be uh, Christians and have a witness, then we must share that witness. We must share what's on our heart in our way. And certainly Moore did that night. It saved that, that service, but he impacted a man who fixed an organ to such a great extent that that, that man had to share it as well. And then, then a king in Prussia had to share it, and a, and a family that sang music had to share it. And I, I think it's that constant sharing that, make, that caused it to circle the globe. 
and, and it did it without modern technology or anything else. It was just one on one. So I think if, if anything, it's, it showed me the power of one on one witnessing and, and, and the power of, of what a single word given at the right time can do so from a, from a theological standpoint. I think there's something else that it does if you listen to the, the song, and that probably reflects the inspiration of Moore walking through that all by himself through the woods writing it. It's, it's important to have that quiet time in your spiritual life. Yeah. When you remove yourself and you're by yourself, and that's when God can really speak to you. And I don't think there's, <laughs> there's any doubt if you look at the lyrics in the song that, that God definitely spoke to to uh, Joseph Moore when he was creating that original poem. Absolutely. I'm actually going to read the verses kind of as a poem right now. That's, that's just part of what we're going to enjoy is, as the podcast goes. So let me read these. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking this is the correct, I don't know if some of the carols that we've done, there's been some discrepancy as to the order of the verses. I don't think there ever is with Silent Night, but after I read this version, if you hear that maybe something was out of order, feel free to, to, to let me know. But this is the one I, I pulled up. Silent Night holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight, glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing alleluia, Christ the Savior is born, Christ the Savior is born. Silent night, holy night, wondrous star, lend thy light. With the angels let us sing, Alleluia to our King. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Just simple and straight to the point. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's beautiful. And you know, as you're, as you're sharing what, we, what you pulled from the, the story of this song, I was reminded of, of 1 Peter 2, 9 that says, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I think that's that one-on-one. -on -one. That reminds me when you talked about the one-on-one -on -one approach um, to sharing the gospel, that that's that we've been called out of dark, that darkness into, I think the NIV calls it the marvelous light. And, um, and to me, that's that one-on-one -on -one sharing, that we get to be that to others. I think Silent Night also gives us a, uh, gives mainstream Protestants and evangelicals an opportunity to be thankful to the Catholic and the Lutheran churches because yes. we did not put most Protestant groups ignored Christmas till about 1840. Yes. They didn't even, didn't even open the churches on Christmas unless it happened on a Sunday. So we weren't creating all of these great Christmas songs. And yet these Christmas songs came out of that tradition of people who ha did have Sunday night services and, and, if they were Christmas Eve services and Christmas Day services, and and to a large degree that was the that was the Catholics and the Lutherans, and so these came out of that tradition of worship on Christmas Eve, which most Protestant groups 
you know, ignored. I've always told people, if you want an old fashioned Christmas, you don't want to go back until about 1850. Because right. before that, you know, Christmas in the United States was Mardi Gras on steroids. I mean, it was, it was a, a chance, you know, there's an old Christmas carol. Uh, uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. It's, it's from Britain. And there's a line in that same thing. We, we won't leave until we get some. Well, that was literally what they were saying. Wherever they were singing that carol, these drunken men wanted ale or they wanted money and they weren't going to leave until the owner of that big home had given it to them. And so really, the, the Christmases that we celebrate in the United States changed in, in 18, about 1843. And there's, a, there's another story behind that we can get into someday when we talk about traditions. But okay. for now, we should be thankful for those Eastern European uh, Lutherans and, and the Catholics who continued to celebrate Christmas every year when the British, well, anyone who was associated with the Roman Empire, and that includes the British and then later the United States, because the, the British immigrant, immigrants ignored Christmas, you know. And I, I'd read some of that, that the church was were very much adamantly against Christmas until that mid-1800 period. Yeah. And as, a, as a, a fan, a lover of all things Christmas, uh, that, that almost took my breath away reading that, because I, was, I can't imagine the church not celebrating Christmas now. Like that is so much a part of our faith tradition and having been in ministry for, you know, a little over two decades, that's always been a part of, of what I've known and I've experienced. And obviously it's, it's changed a lot in the last, in, in, since the 1800s. And, and we're, I'm thankful for that, but um, I will, you know, if we have time at the end, I do would love to know, and it's a little off, off the silent night topic, but I'd love to know um, what your favorite, your personal favorite Christmas tradition is. What, how do y'all celebrate Christmas in your favorite way in, in the Collins household. Um, but we'll, before we get to that, I want to jump and, and talk about the two, the, the version of Silent Night that you sent me. Uh, and then I'm going to play a little bit of it. And I'd love for you to share why that's your favorite and what you loved about it as you, as we discussed through, through messages. So here's this version. This is by uh, Connie Talbot uh, mm -hmm. is her name. And this version of it, it, it's not the YouTube version you sent me, but I found a recorded version of her also as a young girl. So we'll listen to a bit of this. that was your fit what what about that version and another version on the on the uh, recording you sit me had a children's choir in the background as well because it, in my viewpoint silent night is the first christmas song most kids learn yeah and, and therefore i think it has a when you hear a child singing it i think it makes a much more dramatic impact than it does if you hear an adult singing it i think the best-selling version of silent night in the entire world is barbara streisand and certainly really? her voice is just amazing with the way she does it. Bing Crosby version has sold a couple of million copies as well. But when you hear a, a child singing it or a children's choir singing it, I think it makes a much greater impact on you. And Connie Talbert 
she was what five or six when she won British British uh, British British Britain's Got Talent, and, and I've followed her career since then. She's about seventeen or eighteen now, and and she's angelic in the way she sings anything. She's still, yeah, I I never heard her before, and I went and listened to her some of her things on Spotify, and was absolutely blown away by her musicianship. Oh yeah, at the age of 16, 17 years old, she is just brilliant right now. Yes. But when I heard her as a little child, she was missing her front two teeth. She was that young on Britain's Got Talent. And I was blown away. She sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, if I remember correctly. And then later on that year, I heard her sing Silent Night. And I, I thought, okay, this is the way Silent Night's supposed to sing. Yeah. Really yeah, absolutely. And um, it does. And they pronounce it over. In Britain, I, whenever I've gone to the UK and said Connie, they've corrected me. It's Connie. 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 All right. All right. Got it. Yeah, they do kind of shorten some of their 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 words over there. You know, my my favorite version. I was going through um, um, several different versions that I've listened to over the years, um, and for me, I think I landed on this version. And it's really it has no lyrics to it, and that's a little bit different because you know the lyrics are kind of what make this hymn. But to me, this is such a peaceful version of it. of it by chip davis and what i love about it is, is it really feels almost pensive and meditative it just feels very quiet and it really reflects that silent night concept um musically musically speaking it has a little bit of a mixed meter which is a musician i really appreciate it kind of mixes up the meter on you and so it doesn't stay just directly to the melody uh, I mean, the, yeah go ahead the song's been used in so many hollywood movies over the years i mean oh. going back to the Cary Grant and Irene Dunn uh, movie of, back in the 30s, and the name escapes me right now, it'll come to me eventually. But if you look at Silent Night, it has been either sung or played in the background of, of countless Hollywood films over the years. And so it's been used in so many different ways. If you are a baby boomer, you probably heard it sung on, on countless uh, family shows in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, right. when they had Christmas theme shows. Um, I've actually got yeah. to find some of those shows on YouTube because I enjoyed those old, the, the old uh, TV variety shows. So some of yeah. those, the, uh, the, uh, um, the Dean Martin hour, I remember that one. They'd done it on there and a few. Well, and they did it on things like Red Skelton and, and other oh. shows back then. Uh, and in the days before my family had a TV, as a matter of fact. But the, the, the song is universal in nature. And, and therefore, people sing it. One of the most memorable versions I've ever heard was when John Banner and Werner Klinker, uh, Klimper, who played Schultz and, and Klink, Werner Klimper, who played Schultz and Klink on Hogan's Heroes, sang it on, on a variety show back in the 60s or 70s. And, and uh, one was a German, one was an Austrian. And they both had escaped Germany in World War II and had a number of people killed in concentration camps. 
And yet on a variety show that I believe was hosted by Bing Crosby, they sang that song together and both had beautiful voices. As a matter of fact, really? Brenner Klimper was a concert violinist. I'm going to have to, I'll see if I can go find that YouTube video of it and add it to the show notes of this, because that's a little historical tidbit that I didn't know. Now, is this the song, and we can delete this from the recording if, if I'm wrong. Is this the song that was sung in World War One or World War Two to ceasefire? during the war or is that a different creative? it was in world war one a, a french soldier jumps out of a foxhole on christmas eve uh 1917 i believe it's before the united states really got into the war and saying oh holy night oh it's oh holy night okay i could and not remember then that. the germans answered with silent night Once, so you had yeah, the okay. french carol and the great german carol sung by the way, that also happened uh, in the Prussian War back in the 18, what, 70s? So it, okay. it happened at one other time at Christmas. So those two songs literally were the songs that brought peace on earth for 24 hours. That gives me goosebumps just to think about that. I, absolutely, because if there's anything that, that we need right now, it's peace. It's, it's such a peace in this world where things feel so um, upended. Uh, and, you know, we're we're weeks out from the, the election and there's a pandemic on going on. And so, you know, thinking about the fact that Christmas could and can bring that, that respite, you know, that peace amongst or amidst the, the turmoil of life is, is so hopeful in this time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. wow. Well, this has been absolutely, I, I knew it, I knew it was going to be, but it's been so just enjoyable to talk through this Christmas carol. And I know that um, we could talk, a dozen carols. I mean, the book itself. Talk a little bit about your book, because I do want to. I do want to make sure that people know about it. And and it's, it's the stories behind the best love songs of Christmas. It is. It has been a be on best selling list every Christmas for the last nineteen years. It's there's a new version with new art and things that is out this year. Uh, the old, the original book's got a blue cover. The new one's got a gr green cover. The stories on the inside are are the same. Um, it gives me an opportunity to look at 31 different songs, Christmas songs, and a lot of people, I did not intend it this way, but a lot of people actually pick it up the day after Christmas and read a story a day until Christmas Day, and it will work out where you can do that. So it's an unintentional devotional book in that respect, because uh, there are 31 songs in, in the book. Uh, I actually wrote about 50 different song stories, and the publisher cut it to 31 because of the length they wanted the book to be. Do you have a, there's a second then, volume that's come out now? Well, right? actually we do. We have the stories, but we have more stories behind the best love songs of Christmas that has another 31 songs in it. And then we've got a, a book called the stories behind the greatest hits of Christmas that focuses on songs that have topped the uh, charts over the, going clear back to 1906. Wow. Um, and then you also Christmas have one about traditions, well. right? Don't you also have a book about the best? But, but this, the, you could actually buy the stories behind the great traditions of Christmas in communist China. You can, I, I could actually pick it up and re read it from back to front in, in Chinese. I can't read it that way, but it's, <laughs> I've got copies of it that is that, that way. So that book has gone worldwide as well. Uh, and that was the initial follow-up to this book. Um, okay. But it's, um, you know, and you asked me earlier about favorite traditions and, and, there's something I want to talk about a little bit that in all of your other podcasts, it's, you, they probably won't mention it, but it's true. Christmas is a time machine. And particularly when you consider Christmas music and Christmas traditions, because they come back each and every year. And therefore, if you hear the right song or suddenly look at a Christmas ornament on a tree, 
you're transported back in time. And it is a time machine. Suddenly somebody who's 80 years old can become eight years old. And the smells of, of the kitchen and their grandmother baking a turkey or making a pie or their, their brothers and sisters decorating a tree, it all comes back to them because of one memory. There's no other time of the year that's like that. And that is why Christmas music lasts forever and comes back and back and back. Christmas music, if you have a Christmas hit, if you are an artist with a Christmas hit, literally speaking, your career goes on forever. Uh, we don't listen to much Bing Crosby stuff, but when Christmas comes around, Bing's White Christmas, I'll Be Home for Christmas, both of which were huge hits for him, come back and they're live again. We None of us can imagine Christmas without Oba singing Blue Christmas. Right. Dinah Shore charted over 400 times in the 40s and 50s, but never had a Christmas hit. And so nobody listens to Dinah Shore music anymore. How unfortunate too, but you're absolutely right. Absolutely. And so Christmas is a time machine that transports us back. And I think that's why it's so meaningful. My favorite Christmas tradition is probably Christmas cards. Christmas cards. And what I do, uh, you know, we don't have time to tell you the story behind them, but I will tell you what I do with mine. I send out about 250 cards a year, handwritten, you know, and I write three or four lines in each card, because if you're getting a card from me, I owe you something. You've done something to impact my life. And so every Christmas, I remind the person I'm sending the card to what they've done to make an impact on me. And I use it not only as a Christmas card, but as a thank you card for those people who have touched my life. Wow. What a wonderful, that's just the personal touch that makes them feel loved and it gives mm -hmm. them joy. Absolutely. Well, Ace, thank you so much. I can't wait till next year when we get to do this again, because I know that we have many more stories and many more songs that we could talk about, I'm sure. And again, your book is Stories Behind the Best Loved Songs of Christmas. And I, I encourage every um, listener of this that loves Christmas to go pick up a copy um, because it's, it's a great read. It's great to have around at the holidays. And if you're like me and you, and you start thinking about Christmas in like July, you can go ahead and have it out then. And, um, and let, me, let me remind people of something too. Yes, you can go to my website at acecollins.com and buy it from me. You're better off to buy it from christianbooks.com or from amazon.com or Barnes and Noble because they get it cheaper than I do. So okay. you'll get a much better deal on it if you buy it from them than you will me. That is almost, that's, that's very much like Santa Claus in um, Miracle on 34th Street, sending the person to the, the best place to buy, get the deal. That's right. And wanna, that, that's the truth. That is and I do really want to say truth. that um, I want to give a shout out. He's on with us. He's been on. He's been the silent audience today. Uh, my friend Artie who is actually a choir member at our church at Meadows Baptist Church. Um, he's, a, he's a friend of ACES and got me connected with ACES. So Artie, thank you so much for being on too and listening. And Artie is, is a class act. Artie is a class oh, well. act. He, we, he and I were in college together. He remains that today. And reconnecting with Artie in the last couple of years has been one of the best things that's happened to me. I would agree. Same here. Yeah. Thanks. All kinds of warm fuzzies going on here, guys. That's awesome. Well, guys, and they're, they, and they're sincere. And they absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> they better be. I, I know it. I know it. Well, thank you again so much for being on. Uh, I will, I'm going to sign us off um, and, and uh, say to you guys listening, uh, please tune in next week. Make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast um, so that we can get the word out. Give us a positive rating so that um, others can hear about this podcast and hear these wonderful stories of comfort and joy um, throughout the Christmas season. So Merry Christmas, and we'll see you all later. 
Comfort and Joy was recorded at Torn Curtain Studios in Plano, Texas. It was produced by me, Tim Groves, and Meadows Baptist Church. For more information and links to sources for today's show, please see our show notes. The theme music for Comfort and Joy was written and arranged by Dennis Lambert. For more info or to support him and his craft, you can do so on his Patreon account, and you can find that link on our show notes. Finally, remember to check out meadowsbaptist.org and join us for our weekly live stream services, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Stay safe, stay hopeful, and remember, there is comfort and joy this holiday season, no matter what season you're in. Mm-hmm.